on a good day, it's very loud where I'm working mm-hmm. because it's not busy, but there's traffic. Yep. And when it rains, the cars are louder because of the water on the road. Yep. And like I'm, I go from being like a jerk on conference calls to being the world's biggest asshole. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Welcome to Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Mood, episode 398. Gentlemen. What's going on? 398 or 398.25, so I can drag out to 400. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Good good play there. Well, well, no, he actually rounded up from the real number, so he's getting closer faster. The 397.75. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Better? <laughs> I, I like don't it. make me put dot. Don't make me put it, uh, fractions in the titles, please. <laughs> I said decimal. I didn't go for fractions. Yeah, but still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you could use emojis as variable names. Anyway, <laughs> one of my favorite XKCDs. Um. So anyway, yeah. What's going on? Uh. Yeah. About that. Yeah. I. I didn't realize that if you uh, put enough zeros at the end of a of an int in JavaScript, it becomes a taco emoji. Anyway. Um. So. Uh. Um, we have some follow-up, basically, from last week about the Mint plane conversions. Um, and the Mint planes, kind of. Uh, and so, this is the American A321Ts. Right. So last week, we, when we talked about it, one of the rumors that had come up is that American was going to cede some of its premium transcon flying to JetBlue, and that's why they needed more Mint planes out in L.A. And at the time, I thought it was ridiculous. I still sort of think it's ridiculous. But in the intervening days, there's been a whole... And one of the re- things we talked about, though, at that time was in the, that show was the American planes are kind of beat up. Yeah, they're old. They're the youngest are about nine years old now. So that fleet is in line for some sort of interior retrofit. It turns out that the target for that retrofit is 2024 and no one really knows what it's going to bring. I mean, I think I've seen a lot of predictions saying, oh, Americans going to get rid of the first class cabin, um, go business and coach or premium economy only. Which makes sense. I mean, first class on those planes is pretty much employee class. It's like the old United first class. Yeah. But do you think that they're willing to give up some of that revenue that they get from the mu- uh, movie industry and, and stuff? But the uh, contracts don't really stipulate um, first anymore. Most of the, even most of those are now in business. That contract changed a while back. Okay. Didn't know. Yeah. That. I, I, I do. Right? I mean, when, it, when the 10 years ago, when this all happened, nine years ago, when they came out, everyone's like, how many people are possibly going to buy first? How does this make any sense? And uh, the same question remains today. There's a, some people saying maybe a smaller first class cabin. It's hard to do on a single aisle plane. Do they move wide bodies in and sort of right? Then there was like, well, what about the XLRs? Could you bring those in? And because they're going to have a long haul premium product anyways, use them both for transcons and for long haul service. Hmm. Uh, I'm mildly ske- I, I'm mildly skeptical that it makes sense with a high J configuration, hmm. right? Like with the extra large premium cabinet, theoretically premium transcon deserves. Yep. It works for the old continental version of the 752 with 16 in business class. Delta has some like that as well. But for the premium transcons, they fly more premium seats. JetBlue does it with 16 still. I can't imagine United, uh, American wanting to drop down to that. So, I don't know. So, so where are you going then, Seth, with your hypothesis? Like, with uh, is American seeding some of this traffic to JetBlue? Is that, is that, are you kind of leaning that way now more? No. Without it being a real joint venture, I just don't see that making sense. Like the, the money doesn't work. And the other thing is, even with joint ventures and stuff, the corporate contracts generally don't extend to the JB partner. Mm. Really? Yeah, generally it does not. I mean, okay. I don't, Unless, think I don't think that's the case like with the transatlantic joint ventures. No, but, but it depends on which metal you end up on. 
Like, what do you mean, fuzz? So AABA, you often get a you you're, you might get a better rate on JFK Heathrow on AA than you would on BA. On based on your corporate contracts yep. language, exactly. So they might have negotiated with AA only type thing and didn't extend it to any of the. Well, their corporate agreement is with AA, not with BA, right? Yeah. So, and that's what it comes down to, and it really comes down to the vernacular of the individual contracts. But a lot of them are metal specific. Gotcha. So they may not feed JetBlue into these contracts specifically. Exactly. Might, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, go ahead. I was say. I mean, the other thing is like, does it make sense to keep an F cabin if it's going to only be four or six seats rather than the ten? Well, I mean, you could it, right now you could take those ten seats and easily add another ten to make your business. Right, and your revenue will go up. Make it twenty business class seats. Yep. But they already have business class, also. But they would have more business class, right? right. They have a yeah. pretty reasonably small business class cabin for that plane. Yeah, I mean, I guess my theory there is you just keep you oversell business class and mop up people, and it doesn't matter. But yeah, obviously, if you get them to keep buying it, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, if if you're turning away people because you don't have a seat available, that's the, op- that's the worst. Yeah, the op up doesn't happen until the gate. Right, but you in your inventory management, if you've got 10F and 15 and 16J, you sell 26J unless someone has also bought F. Right. So you're selling all 26 seats, and then it's just a matter of seat assignment. Yeah. Yeah, That's a fair point. I think so. The business class product on this on these planes is not as good as Polaris or, um, I guess Delta One on the same route, right? Or even Mint. I would argue it's the same as I mean it's the same seat as the old Polaris seat, right? So what you're still flying, particularly on the Transcons, yeah, on the seven fives, right? But do you and, think that it's, it has to be refreshed, right? It does, and I don't think it's any worse than the current Delta seat. No, no that's true. And Delta has some seven five twos with these seats. So. Yeah, but even with the, when you compare it to the seven sixes, I don't think one seat's better than the other. They're yeah. either. Yep. Um, more American news. Not really follow up. American has. Uh, bought into the boom height? American has placed an order. They're calling it a firm order, but they didn't actually file the 8K and update their fleet plan, so take that for what it's worth. For 20 uh, boom overtures, this is the supersonic plane that doesn't have engines and, in my estimation, probably won't fly. Um, certainly not the specs that they've advertised and whatnot, but, uh, and 40 options. So, yeah, interesting, I guess. Did we get any numbers on how much money they outlaid? So that very, very quiet. Yeah, that, but, that to me is very interesting. Maybe it's like a million bucks. You never know. Yeah, could be one. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But right, you know, no airline ever talks about what its deposits are on aircraft. So it is it's it is suspicious, but also just the way it is. Yeah. Um, also, but like at the same time, boom, uh, Blake Scholl, the CEO, said for a long time, like, this is our price. This is how much we're charging for our planes. We're not going to play the games that the other guys do and have a list price, and then a discount and whatever. And it's hard for me to believe that that's true. Right, like you have to be able to like negotiate a little bit on price with your customers, especially big name ones who are bringing you this absurd amount of publicity that makes it sound like it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. But who the hell knows? Also, continuing to maintain that they're going to have a start building their factory in Greensboro next year and have the first plane roll out in 2025 and have it certified by 2029, and they still have not announced an engine. So, and. Uh, they're reviewing the uh, reports that Rolls-Royce helped produce in, as part of their contract to in study what engines would look like. And now it's going to be four engines, not three, but the whole thing is. Four engines for a long haul? <laughs> uh, 
I had a different word that I was using instead of long haul, but sure. <laughs> I, I like that he's I like that he's like taking the CarMax approach to selling airplanes. You know, no haggle pricing. Uh, yeah. It's it's real it's classic. Numbers on the windshield, man. You want it yeah. or not. <laughs> um I, I do think I mean I had this discussion with someone on Twitter because they called basically called me an idiot. But I, I also pointed out the fact that Americans essentially thirty six billion dollars in debt. Yes. Um and uh so the odds of them actually buying a lot of these planes, if any, is extremely low. Like actually taking a plane. Yeah, like the the debt thing is a problem for American in so many ways. I don't think that's enough to destroy this potential for this deal for them. And they're going to keep buying airplanes. Someone's going to keep financing them because someone's going to be able to place them elsewhere if, they, if American defaults. Yeah. Short of another massive, massive uh, pandemic or economic collapse, the likes of which, which we have not seen even counting COVID, uh, there's going to be a use for these planes. So well, for planes, maybe not supersonic planes. I think that's the bigger question. Uh, Brett Snyder, Cranky Flyer, did a like, where could they fly them to bit today? Uh, this is Monday when we're recording. He put that out this earlier this week uh, about what, like where could the planes fly to that would make sense? And the answer is almost none of the routes work, right? I, well, very few routes are feasible nonstop. The mm-hmm. uh, two routes that the company advertised were LA to Hawaii in three hours and uh, Miami to London in five and Miami to London in five works, just like JFK or uh, Philly to London in about three. It vaguely works one direction. Um, you can do it for the daytime flight, and you can do it for a westbound uh, once or twice a day. But you, the red eye doesn't work. There's only like you, you can't you get into early. Yeah, you land too early. If you take a, a nine p.m. red eye and it takes three hours to fly, you land at you know, nine p.m. six a.m. That one might work, but there's. So, like you landed six a.m. having not slept. Yeah, I mean, it sounds terrible from a passenger perspective, right? Like, <laughs> th- th- there's some weird challenges there, um, and you know, the, the arguably the most value is Trans-Pacific because it's such long stage length, it's such a long flight, and it's all ocean, so you can fly supersonic the whole time. The problem is the planes don't have the range for that. You've got to stop somewhere for a gas and go. Yep, and so it's. LA to Tahiti to Sydney or anywhere else in Australia or LA to Anchorage to Tokyo or Seoul. Yeah. And, and does, it, does it just not make financial sense then? Well, so even with the gas and the numbers are a little skewed because when they originally announced it, the plane was going to fly Mach 2.2 and now it's only Mach 1.7. Hmm. Uh, but when they originally announced it, it was like, even with the gas and go, it's still half the amount of time. Now it's probably, you know, instead of 10 hours from LA to Tokyo, it's probably six. Yeah. Seven. So like, is that enough of a savings? There's there have been studies over the years of how much people are willing to save pay to save an hour or two of time. Yep. And the numbers that are being bandied about for what would have to be charged to make this financially viable and fill uh, you know, eighty premium seats or sixty premium seats each direction is doesn't really work in my mind. Yeah, I mean you are asking people to pay a premium, a first class ticket price on a yeah. trans Pacific well, flight. You know, if you're a boom CEO, you just keep telling everybody it's going to be the same price. It's just going to be faster. Never mind that he doesn't actually get to set the prices. And why the hell would the airlines sell them at the same price? Because shouldn't they have a premium for it? Well, in taking Hawaii, LA, Hawaii down from 5.5 hours ish to, to three, three, I'm not going to pay. Why would you for, give it, yeah. Who would pay for that, though? The only advantage it gives you is that the frame could do double daily round trip. Yeah. Okay. Whereas with almost every other route, there, you just don't get the utilization. You don't have even the right 
the some of the math around does an aircraft make sense is what are the lengths of the trips it's going to fly? How much can I use it? How many tickets can I sell to make that work? And part of uh, Scholl's approach is like, well, fly so much faster, you can use it more so you can charge less for the tickets because you can amortize the sort of capex of buying the plane over more passengers. And that falls apart when you realize the routes don't support it. Hawaii at least sort of supports it. But again, you come back to who's going to pay that. But you're talking about four flights a day versus three. You can do three flights between the mainland right. and Hawaii on a 737. Right. And so maybe you do five instead of three, but yes. But then again, again, you come back to who wants a three-hour red eye. But who's also going to pay for that? Because again, these, no these, yeah, because they're these aren't exactly these aren't high premium routes. No, oh, well, uh, Hawaii has of late has certainly seen a uh, boost in premium traffic as well. But yeah, but if you look at the fares, the yes. fares aren't aren't really premium fares, right? You can fly from, the, from the west coast because it's not really premium cabin. Yeah, from the west coast, it's like there is no premium. There's maybe one or two flights a day. And from the east yeah. coast, even the fares are around a grand a piece. Yeah, maybe and those are going to have to fly subsonic most of the way, and it's actually. I'm not sure JFK to Honolulu or New York, Honolulu, whatever, is within range. It's on the edge of the supersonic, it's on the edge of Overture's range, anyways. Whatever. There's still no engines. No, this is all stupid. Well, and, you know, it's funny to me. It's it's telling to me that, like, Emirates or some of these other big carriers haven't been like, oh, yeah, this sounds great. Bastion came out and was like, yeah, there's way more questions than there are answers. We're not getting into that. I mean, at least he's honest. I gotta yeah. give it to him. <laughs> And then, and all this is before we even start getting into the environmental impact of these planes, which is terrible. Yeah. Like, you want to talk about, we can debate why they're flying is bad for the, well, we can't debate that. Flying is bad for the environment, that's fine. There are other things that are worse, but the emissions challenges of flying are pretty well documented. Yep. The emissions issues that come from supersonic are massively worse. And at this point, Boom, and that's really the only main player, is desperately lobbying ICAO, the UN organization, trying to get it to say that supersonic is acceptable because there's concern that the European Union will decide not to block it otherwise <laughs> as an environmentally irresponsible boondoggle. And if that happened, there goes most of the market. Yeah. So I, I mean, I just, yeah. I don't... And yet American Airlines, I'm, the best part is because Americans is in the uh, knew so much about this, United's advertising around it again. Because United was the first and a smaller order, but whatever. And so, like, promoted content all over the place about United's buying into this as well. And so, so maybe, maybe United should fix, find more time to fix the holes in their app and stuff. Dude, and, you, you, about, hang on a second. Wait, American has all of those same problems way more than United does. If you want to talk about things that the companies need to fix before they start pretending they're buying supersonic planes, <laughs> how about just having an airline that operates reliably? <laughs> Again, all those problems way worse than United does right now. But anyways, Um, America's got a great great plan to improve reliability, though, Foz. They're buying Air Wisconsin. Did they buy them or they just contracted it? I think they bought them, didn't they? They used to own them. I mean, of all, but of all the regionals to buy, that's probably the worst one. That's like going to the dollar store and give me the cheese that's expired. (laughs) That's a little extreme. I'm sorry, they're not buying them. They're welcoming Air Wisconsin Airlines to the American Eagle portfolio. Air Wisconsin's fleet of up to 60 Bombardier CRJ-200 aircraft will start to enter service no later than March 2023, with most of the flying focused on connecting customers to our Chicago O'Hare hub. If you didn't think operations at O'Hare were bad already, they're about yeah, to get worse. bringing a bunch of tiny 50-seaters. <laughs> right. So this is a... Uh, yeah, 
Air Wisconsin and its 1,100 team members will be a fantastic addition to the American Eagle family. I can't tell if they're actually buying them or taking over the contract. But so this is there's a, there's a little bit of backstory, and then there's some crazy um, about this that, to be discussed. Um, United Airlines last year announced that they were planning to get rid of roughly 250 seaters over the next few years as part of the order for the 270 Airbus and Boeing single aisle planes. This is part of that. United's contract with Air Wisconsin expires in February. Not surprisingly, American's contract starts in March. Uh, this was United walking away from that partnership. But United also has the Aviate Academy with Air Wisconsin as a feeder flow airline. So does this screw the pilot flow situation for United? No, I think I think what it does is it, exp- it does, makes it better. Because right? it, well, they let, let them train at Air Whiskey and then hire them. Well, but the problem, well, I use the term problem loosely. The plan sort of for that is that uh, they were sort of promised you work long enough at Whiskey, you, you, or you go to the academy, you then you get a feeder into Whiskey, and then there's a mainline flow. Mm-hmm. If they don't have the flow because they're now, uh, it's they don't have, they're not associated with United anymore, why would those, why would those pilots flow to United instead of to American? I mean, if United can guarantee them seniority levels or whatever that they would have had in American, and they can fly mainline planes, why wouldn't you? That, that's fair, but like, do you do you keep the flow even from a company that you don't necessarily directly work with? That's a, that's yeah, would be I mean, different. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, but it would be different. Pilots move airlines all the time, though. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, not all the time, but they're they, starting they, generally. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I, I know of pilots that have moved from, say, Delta Regionals to American Mainline or United yeah. Mainline. But I think that was also a bit before these flow patterns were established. True. true. So that yeah, that's so, I mean, part it complicates of it. things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that's part of it. There's, uh, I don't know, the whole. I mean, you had some thoughts about the, you know, saying this was bad news, uh, Steve. Well, I mean, there, in, anytime you tell me that there's going to be more uh, Satan CRJ. chariots around, it's then, the same number of CRJ 200s. They're just moving to American. It's bad for you, American in that context. Yes, it's bad for flyers on American. American passengers. Yes, I feel like for flyers on American, it's bad for them. So, uh-huh. would you rather that or insufficient pilots to operate your regional operation so the routes get cut? And it's easy for all three of us. Well, relatively easy for all three of us because we all live near a major airport. I've done quite a bit of flying on the CR2s. Cancel the route. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen has written off uh, a third of these small airport markets in the United States now. Thank you I, very I mean, much. there's just better. I mean, wh- why are the airlines so obsessed with this airplane? Like, because they are not fuel efficient. At this point. I, I, yeah, it's cheap because they've been written off for the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, and, and you can't get, you're not going to get more 50 seaters. You're not going to get a new 145. Yeah, it, it, that's it, really. And, and I don't know. I don't know. I, Which, to I, be fair, I, is a whole different problem of like the future of the industry. But. I would agree with Steven on this. For the CR2s, I'd say write them all off. If they're 145s, I'd have a different opinion. Yeah. I, I agree with you guys that it's terribly uncomfortable. Um, having fl- It's been just under a year now since I last flew one. Um, I flew the same actual frame, Manchester to Dulles to Ithaca on a Saturday morning in last September. It was not nice, but in the I had to get to Ithaca and didn't and couldn't really drive because I was going to pick up a car. Um it was the most reasonable option available, right? And and since then, both the Manchester to Dulles and the Dulles to uh, Ithaca routes have been cut. Yeah, but they, well, right they now. didn't get cut. They just moved back to Newark. Remember, there was, they had that both was, at one point, and now they don't. 
Okay, I don't remember them having both. I remember them moving it, but I uh, yeah. definitely Ithaca only moved. Yeah. Manchester might have moved, uh, might have been an addition, but they they but it was back when they didn't really have much to Newark. Yeah, so it's just it's the. I agree with you that they're terribly uncomfortable. I feel badly for markets where those are the only options. And in I, a I, lot of cases, there's they're not, a competing they're, airline. They're but. not the only option. Look at what United's done with the 550s. It's, right. it's, it's, only, it's the only option because the airlines refuse to really think beyond the CR2. And, I, and I'll, I'll say this. I think on some routes, fine. I could put up with the CR2 for 45 minutes, whatever. But on some of the routes that these airlines are flying them on, I think is what gets me. I mean, flying it on an hour and a half to two hour flight from, you know, Eugene to Denver. That's just cruel. Like, that's terrible. I did Burbank to Denver once. I will never like that was it for a CR2. Yeah. So I and the other part of this is, is I flew a lot of Milwaukee to Chicago and I get it. Like that is the that's the plane that makes sense for that route. Same for like Eau Claire or any of those other smaller cities in, uh, you know, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, et cetera, where you need to get people to the to the hub. But I, I, I swear I flew it as much as many times as it, as it was canceled. Yeah, because the, the the usability on the plane was so, or the you know the maintenance on the plane was so bad. Was it a maintenance or, issue, or was it just like it was? O'Hare, it was a mix. Someone sneezed at O'Hare, and then it was done. It was it was a mix. I would to be fair, it was a mix. So sometimes it was a maintenance issue. Sometimes it was a, a weather. It couldn't it couldn't go because of the weather. Um, sometimes it couldn't go because there was a stop at O'Hare for the regional jets, and it's the first ones to get cut. So I spent a lot of time driving from Milwaukee to Chicago. Which, I mean, I would- I would argue that we're probably better off scrapping the 50 seaters, adding, moving to 70 seaters, and dropping a frequency. I mean, you've made that argument before on the show. And I stand by that. I think that'll overall be better for everybody. Yeah. Like, how yeah. often do they run Milwaukee, Chicago? Yeah, I mean, it's not like we need. Yeah, it was like it was like five times a day, I think, or six times a day, maybe. Yeah. At the, at the, at the peak. Yeah. At the peak, and then I think it dwindled to like three by the time I stopped flying there. So. But was that just on United or was that on both United and American? Uh, that was just United. I never looked at American. I don't even know if at that time they were flying Milwaukee to Chicago. American was. American has a ton. Excuse me, United has a ton of CRJ routes right now. Yeah. I'm, just looking, I'm looking at uh, Syrian yeah. schedules. Look, look at Denver. Denver. Um, sure. Let's, you want to do Denver or you want to do Chicago? Either one. Uh, origin. E-E-N comma O-R-D. I know my airport codes. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Uh yeah, Denver's Jesus. Wow. Denver's like, it's insane. Yeah. And it's like, split across both uh, Whiskey and Sky West. Yeah. Um, so most of Denver is Whiskey, excuse me, Denver is Sky West and O'Hare is Whiskey. Yep. And well, Sky West is at both, but. Uh, but bigger in Denver. Yeah, the Denver operation only has Sky West. As it, and so those will stick around, I guess. Well, again, though, it also, well, uh, you know, the other thing about this that is interesting is just sort of the idea of if you're. American Airlines, fine. You take on this contract with up to 60 jets. Does having Air Wisconsin in your portfolio give you the opportunity to say, oh, look, we just bought 50, 70 seaters. Transition your pilots over to these now. And mm. at least you've got pilots at hand. Yeah. Right. That's that's an in, that's another Brett Snyder made that argument also today. And, you know, it's having the capacity, but it doesn't matter what plane they're flying today because it matters that you have a long-term contract with them and theoretically have access to those pilots in the future. Yeah. And I don't know. It's uh, in some ways that seems good. In some ways it seems terrible. <laughs> because uh, CR2s. So I, I, another American airline story, because they apparently can't get out of the news. Uh, and the headline was, 
What's that? It's a good week, right? Yeah. Man drove his family all night to make his brother wet brother wedding after American Airlines booked them on a flight to a different country, then canceled the replacement. Uh, it's a quality story, honestly. It, it is. Uh, it's hilarious um, a little bit. <laughs> it wasn't so sad. <laughs> so they were going from Seattle to Burlington, Vermont, um, and the, the flight from Philadelphia was canceled. Well, um, Hang on, they were originally scheduled to connect in Chicago. Yeah, and the Chicago uh, in advance, the Chicago to Burlington route was dropped, and I believe that was one of these regionals that no pilots, no route, goodbye. Yep. Um, at the time, the American system rebooked him, or rebooked the family. It was like a family of six or something. It's a big group uh, to the next closest airport, Montreal. Montreal. So, what's really <laughs> funny about this is a couple days before this headline hit. There was a DOT complaint filed that was resolved or American filed its objection and said, no, dismiss it, whatever, about a similar situation in the Caribbean where someone was in St. Vincent and the flight was canceled and they were rebooked out of St. Lucia. I saw. I remember reading about that one. Um, and Americans response, amongst other things, was you know, in, in begging the DOT to dismiss the complaint was, since this has been brought to our attention, we recognize that it was a mistake. And as of July 22nd, our system now will no longer rebook people to a different country. Which means that their auto-rebooking system up until like a month ago was did not pay attention to the country when auto-rebooking people for however long that same system's been in operation. Well, and that is mind-boggling to me. Well, we've talked about this a little bit, right? Previously, like AA is taking some very, very broad liberties on definitions of co-terms and sister airports <laughs> like literally you could search newark to like manchester and you're gonna get philadelphia boston flights that's true i have had that come up like stuff like that yeah and like yeah, you- they, they do on their on their search engine they have a an automatic nearby airports sort of built in when i do new york to la is always a fun one because you end up with the white plains to santa Ana or orange county routing via chicago i'm like what would the no <laughs> even when you don't do include nearby airports what so by default, they do that, and then you have to uncheck them in the results. It's obnoxious. It, but it doesn't always do that. That's the other thing. Like, if you go look for Philadelphia-Boston, it only shows you Philadelphia-Boston. Yeah, because they have enough of those. They they want to show you so many options to try to get your business that they'll auto-include all. But, again, New York to L.A., they certainly have plenty. But if you do NYC, I think maybe it's NYC LAX, but they will automatically add the others in. It's super bizarre. Well, but the best part is to, when they use the geolocation stuff, they'll show you airports they don't fly from. Yeah. <laughs> Like Trenton. <laughs> yeah, if you log if you log into the website, they use the IP geolocation. So based on wherever you're logged in from, they'll try to pick the if you're not logged in, uh, if you're not logged into the site, because if you're logged in, your profile has a default airport usually. But yeah, they'll pick the closest airport to the IP address. And so I guess because well, where you live in down near there, you get up with Trenton as the option. Which would be great if they started service from there as long as it's on a bus, but <laughs> <laughs> landline Trenton service. Um, so so, so but anyway, sorry. So back to this guy whose family got screwed. So they, they, the original flight was canceled. They rebooked him out of Montreal. He called in and was like, well, that's crazy. And they put him on a code share, actually. Seattle to Philly on Alaska and then Alaska to Burlington on one of the regionals. They get to Philly. The flight to Burlington cancels. And they were like, yeah, good luck. And sort of left him there. Refused to offer him any, anything, really. Eventually rented a car, drove through the night, made it to the wedding. When he called to get a refund, and this is my, I've had this problem with American before as well. They said, well, you, we got you to Philadelphia, so we're only going to refund the 30% of the, or the 15% of the flight that was Philadelphia to Burlington, because we got you most of the way there. And by percentage of distance traveled, we got you close. And I, <laughs> that's the sort of thing that, like, if the DOT really wants to fix customer rights, that's the thing. You need to start bullshit like that. Like, I just, 
it, yeah, this this guy had to drive all night because of you. Like we got you, we got you the right time zone. That's all we really had to do. Yeah, we got you the East Coast. Good luck getting from Florida to you know. Yeah, and like well, Florida, at least it got a bigger refund because it's more miles to drive. But like <laughs> the, the whole, we got you close. We're only going to refund you the different. Like you didn't actually get me where the contract said you were going to get me. Yeah. It pisses me off. Something special. American seems to have no problem with that, and the DOT seems to have no problem with American having no problem with that, and it pisses me off. Yeah, I mean it's it's ridiculous. And what's great, I mean, I get why it chose Montreal. Like to me, it makes sense. The the other country part is it's like yeah, you know, who cares if these people have passports? Um, but that's cabotage. <laughs> well, no, but that it got them to Montreal. It's not because they weren't flying into Canada and then back in the United States. But their they, end goal is the U.S., so that is technically cabotage. Yeah. Can you make that argument though? Because I thought that cabotage, that by definition, was you transit, you transit Canada by air by the same method of transport. Uh, if your intent was not to go to Canada and they are <laughs> sending you there, I'm sure you could make that argument. I mean, maybe you can also make the argument that it was just stupid and had a lot less trouble proving it for what it's worth. <laughs> just have people going, yeah, yeah, you're right. That is that's idiotic. Why, why like, oh, that? So what happens? Like you show up to the airport, you're going to Burlington, Vermont, from Seattle, and you have no passport. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Your, your flight's been canceled. We routed you to Montreal. Oh, you don't have a passport? Yeah. Here's your money back. Go home. Like, because America. Yeah. Wait, wait. So the, and now, you know, the other question I'll ask is, how did they not, how were they not able to get to Boston? Because American has a shitload of seats between Philadelphia and Boston. I'm Boston guessing- to Burlington isn't that close, though. But it's closer than Philly. Yes, but by the time you get it, like, if, if, if at that point, if I'm the guy, if I'm the family, like... By the time I sorted out and get, and A, it was late at this point, so I'm not sure there was an, and, and the last flight to Philly isn't actually as late as you'd like it to be, or from Philly to Boston. Ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> I made it by the skin of my teeth that time. But, like, they, the opportunities to get you there, and then, okay, so now you land at Boston at one in the morning and drive three and a half hours instead of after taking two hours to get there versus just fine, driving the six or seven from Philly, it doesn't save you much. Okay, that's fair. I just, I mean, yes, you're right. If it was early in the morning and they were thinking about it and had some time to work, they're like, oh, okay, I can get a few hours closer and maybe rent a car there. I would argue Manchester would be better at that point, and they do have those flights. But Or why didn't AA just rebook them to Manchester or Boston when they canceled the flight? Because they could rebook like, them to Burlington. They did yeah. have a booking to Burlington in the end via Philly. Oh, that's fair. Okay, okay, that's fair. Just, that's but fair. that took the guy calling in and being like, are you kidding me? And then they had to get a code share involved because, with Alaska. Like, the whole... So bad. I, I think what's funny, though, is that he the only reason he noticed was because it says we're about to welcome you on your flight to Canada. Yeah, he got <laughs> something about your international, your upcoming international itinerary. He got an email like, whoa. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm not going international. I just, I just love that. Yeah. So um, let's talk about Ethiopian. Uh, there is allegedly evidence of pilots falling asleep on a flight into Addis. Uh, over Addis, really. Over Addis. They eventually <laughs> landed there. Um, they overflew by like 20 minutes and then turned around and landed, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they were at 34,000 feet or 36,000 feet when they overflew oh. it. So they weren't even close. Now we know uh, where the two Delta pilots went. Was that the ones that were asleep or was that the ones that guys were discussing union contract issues? No, they were they were asleep. They sent Diego to Minneapolis and they literally flew right over Minneapolis. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember that one. And there, was there a different one than they like claimed to be talking about? Like they distracted about scheduling stuff. Yeah, oh, there was another that. one too. Yeah, because San Diego, Minneapolis happened a long time ago. That was that. That was a while ago. Anyway, not good. Not good. Uh, not a lot of news to talk about with this one. It's just kind of crazy. So, um, Max Wing production slowdown. Oh, this is great. So last week we talked about how Boeing was going to sort of start playing games, moving engines around mm-hmm. uh, to get 
more planes delivered because they're having uh, supply chain issues getting new engines for their new deliveries, and the Chinese aren't going to be taking any of their already built Max in anytime soon. I think the only backlog remaining, like existing built frames, are all destined for Chinese carriers or other uh, NTU, not taken ups, uh, canceled orders. And even a lot of those have been replaced, by, which I mean, placed at new airlines. Like Southwest has taken a few and some other things. So, uh, but now apparently, in addition to having trouble getting uh, engines or swapping the engines out, Boeing is now telling its wing supplier to slow its roll a little bit while it tries to figure out how it's going to deal with other supply chain shortages because it doesn't have, you know, it Boeing buys major components sort of pre-assembled and then in rent and just bolts it all together, rivets it all together, whatever. And so doesn't have a lot of space to store extra big chunks. Not, like this is not, this is not great for Boeing. No. Um, on the plus side, you know, going with the, we're not building gliders anymore statement as opposed to Airbus, which has been building some gliders again, playing without engines. <laughs> I will, you know, the one, the thing I'm always surprised about is how, if either of you have been there, how squeezed Renton is and the fact that they still haven't grown out of that facility. Where are they going to go? They could go anywhere. They went to Charleston with the wide bodies. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought that maybe they would go to Moses Lake. Like, I thought that was kind of a, maybe a move for them in the future. I don't think they can convince enough of their workforce. to Or the middle of the country because half the stuff is made in Kansas. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was just thinking... If you, if you didn't have to ship all those fuselages in by train... Yeah, or and, and, lose, and lose them in a river. Yeah, like uh, how does that make sense? Or have, them, or have them show up with bullet holes in them? Yeah, because people take target practice as they're rolling by. Yeah, also has happened. <laughs> uh, I have always wondered, Foz, about how it, like how does it make sense that Airbus builds fuselages in Europe and then puts them on a ferry to Alabama <laughs> or China? Because that, seem, that seems safe. Because I'm sure, like tax breaks are great, but like, are you really saving money in the end? The, I mean, the China and the and the Alabama one is all, not just about tax breaks. It's also about claiming the local powers. assembly and getting more contracts. Certainly for China, um, there was rumors when the Alabama facility opened that you know airlines were really excited to have this and be able to get U.S. assembled, U.S. final assembly on some of these planes. But also, like none of them wanted the first thirty or forty because that was the first couple <laughs> years worth of build, and they knew that the quality was going to suffer, and they were all going to be delayed and right scuttlebutt and like behind the scenes conversations. But there's some quality evidence that like everybody was pretty worried about those initial deliveries. So that's great. It's like when you get on the plane, you're like, can you tell me where this one was assembled? Believe it or not. <laughs> uh, if you're flying in the United States, there is a federal rule that requires that disclosure on oh, the yeah. safety card. Yeah. And it's up above on the plate. Yeah. Above. But it has to be on the safety card too, which they write the passengers see. Yeah. Yeah. I'd uh, like to get on planes and tell people how many times that plane was in, a, in an incident. Freak them out. <laughs> that specific frame or just the model in general? No, the specific frame. Hey, did you know that this plane blew a tire taking off 14 years ago? <laughs> this one, oh, you must be a great seatmate, man. I would love to sit next to you on the next trip. Here, let's watch. Let's watch air disasters together. Uh, <laughs> hey, my claim to fame is uh, the uh, Air France Rio to uh, Charles de Gaulle flight. I flew that frame in Newark and Paris at one point. Oh. Uh, um, let's talk about the. Have you ever seen the movie alive? Uh, anyways. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the Faroe Islands. Um, Gorgeous. You should go visit. Yeah, I want to. Uh, really they're, getting a, they're getting a fish cargo carrier. Yeah, I would not visit on this airline. <laughs> it's smelly. Uh, I would imagine it would be very cold also oh. for the flight. Mm. Um, it's it's dedicated to, to carrying salmon. So this is crazy. The, there's a local uh, 
they're well, they're sort of local. They're actually a, a Scottish and Faroese uh, consortium sort of fishing operation is looking to start running cargo flights, flying export salmon from. Uh, I actually forget the name of the capital. So the V. Vigar. Yeah. Um, to JFK and Tel Aviv or New York City and Tel Aviv. They haven't announced where in New York because demand for these salmon is so great that they think, and normally they have to pack it and get it to, by ship to Denmark. And then from there it flies onward, but the quality diminishes and there's a cost and the yada, 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 yada. They are convinced that they can uh, actually make money doing this and running the nonstop uh, cargo flights, but they don't want to fly home empty and there's not enough stuff to import because yep. the Faroe Islands are tiny and don't, just don't have many people to like buy imported stuff in that volume. So because they're a Scottish airline, now there's talk, it'll be a triangle route and it'll drop into uh, Glasgow or Edinburgh or something. And then hop the short hop could be empty, but the big hop will have at least some cargo going from New York over to Scotland and then uh, finish the trip. I mean, they could they could theoretically do like what, you know, Alaska used to do with the or they still do with the combi planes. Are they do they still have the combis? Uh, I thought if they did, I think they moved into the 800s, not the the fours are gone. Yeah. Um, Make the front cargo and then like let me sit in the back. Right. So you just really like salmon that much. You just want to be able to like kick down the bulkhead door and go get yourself a snack. No, no, I'm just saying like we can. I can get a JFK to Vegar line. That'd be nice. Yeah. Well, so what's interesting about this is that a couple of years ago, uh, shortly pre-COVID, uh, Atlantic Airlines or Airways, mm-hmm. I forget which, which is the national carrier, announced that with their new A321 Mios, they were going to launch New York City service, and so. That's as passenger flights. And part of their business model, you'll be shocked to learn, was also carrying cargo. (laughs) So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if this cargo-only option displaces that in some way. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I just... Also, there's the... I don't know if you guys remember when WoW went out of business, um, which is the Icelandic airline. Um, There's the crazy lady who tried to buy it, or she did buy the intellectual property and swore up and down that she was going to start the new airline. Yep. And then... Uh, a couple months later was contacting people telling them that she had tapes of the Italian secret service conspiring with Biden to uh, rig the elections against Trump. And she had the proof and they could buy it from her. Um, So that's by the way, the level of crazy that this lady is. Um, She wanted also to start a airline and it was going to be passenger at one point, but then it was going to be cargo only to get uh, the salmon and other seafood out of Iceland. See guys, we should have bought that old DC eight or whatever. And started a cargo airline to some rare exotic food destination. I don't think we would have done well. I think we would have done fine. Just as well as Crazy Lady. <laughs> we would have gotten distracted by acquiring new lines. Yes, we would have been like, where can we find new cargo? Yeah. You yeah. didn't drop off the old stuff yet, fellas. Whatever. <laughs> Push it out the back. We got room. We got to make room. Yeah. Um. It's, I think it's, it's cool. Uh, and keeping me uh, and New York and the United States uh, full of locks is totally fine in my book. Well, you know, you got to smoke it when it gets here. Yeah. Um, Singapore. Let's talk about Singapore Changi Airport. Uh, there's a new T5 plan. And this was actually posted. Am I right? This is the prime minister? Yeah, it was a, or the head of government. I don't know if it's called prime minister or not. but Yeah, I can't remember either. Uh, yeah, like made an announcement going? that it was partly the airport, partly the seaport. Um, we are back. We are growing again. Our commitment has never to, you know, being the center of Asia has never wavered. And to prove it, you know, we had the designs on the books for T5 and for this new uh, cargo container. We have now committed to making those happen. And then they released the blueprint or not renderings 
of what this new T5 is going to look like. Yeah, and it, it is the Prime Minister of Singapore. So, okay. um, and yeah, it's so it's T5 is like that eastern side of Changi. The, there's two there's two runways that are already built. I think the most easterly is used by the Air Force currently. Is um, that the one that they also use for the air show? I think so. Yeah. Is, isn't that where they also uh, added land recently? Yes. So it's landfill space. Yeah, it's been landfill space for a little while. Yeah, yeah it um, was added. Yeah, because last but, time I flew out of there, the dredgers were out building more land. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's it's a giant terminal between the two runways over there. Um, it looks lovely. They're going to build uh, something. They're really like a little uh, Aerotropolis city uh, neighborhood right off the end of the terminal. As because well. that's so, because that's where I want to live. You you don't necessarily want to live there, but they, you'd be shocked at how many businesses want to be right at the airport like that. No, no, I get that, but it makes it sound like it's going to be housing. Yeah, there'll be some of that too, dude. Singapore's already—you <laughs> need an apartment. You take what you can get. I guess so. Yeah. Very crowded. Um, now it's—it looks lovely. It's another forty-something gates. The renderings are hysterical. It only shows Singapore Airlines. <laughs> it oh, and, and it shows Singapore Airlines as opposed to typically when an airport announces or government announces you know expansion. They either don't show an airline or they show sort of all the airlines that they work with or you know, whatever. But no scoot. None of the like you don't see any of the other airlines and. Uh, like most of the renderings seem to be three eighties, <laughs> like stubby three eighties, like a three eighty dash one hundred. I don't know. It's there's some issues with the renderings, but it's you know glass everywhere, beautiful, sort of typical of what Changi does for yeah. full service operations. I'll say the low cost terminal is a little less T uh, four, but it's uh yeah cool great. I don't I don't know. I mean it's it will be it is a lot more gates. Yeah. And it, I guess one of the things I wonder is, will they use that as swing space to start renovating uh, T2 and T3, which probably needed at this point? Yeah. Or just keep growing? And quite frankly, is there going to be a need to grow? That's a big bet right now. Given, you know, and Singapore Airlines just says it's going to bounce back and still be a you know, connector operation into and around Asia. But that's a big bet. Yeah. I mean, I think Sing- Singapore's it's already, a, it's a huge airport when you yes. think about it. Um, and this is essentially adding a second Singapore airport. That, that's what it looks like, right? It's maybe not as many gates, but it's a, it's not a lot. Not quite as many, but it's a lot. So I think, I think I, in the rendering, I think I counted 44 gates. Yeah. Um, and there's like a remote pier also. Yep. Um, they, and then a bunch they, of hard stands. But could they possibly be deprecating one of the old terminals in the process? I mean, I could see them getting rid of like T4 eventually. T4 is like the newest though, right? T4 is actually very nice. Is it though? Is that the newest one? I thought that because Cathay just moved there not that long ago. I thought, I thought T4 was the low cost. No? Did I, make, did I get that wrong? I thought T4 was the low cost as well. Maybe. Know, let's find out. Um, but yeah, there's a... I don't know. It's either way, there's a lot of opportunity, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're, being, they're being optimistic, I think, with how much air traffic or air flow there's going to be in the coming years. Um, I mean, again, this is probably 10 years off, though, right? Yeah, so I, I think you got. Yeah, I mean, I thought T four is where they work, but I could be wrong. T four is the one that's like right when you enter the airport. Yeah, the and that's what I thought. That's where Cathay was because they were in a different building altogether. Yeah, and I so a bunch of stuff switched around right before COVID. So that, and that mine is probably well before that. Yeah, so it opened in twenty seventeen. T four, so it's not that old. It's not. The, I was just was thinking from the perspective of it's pretty remote, but I guess. You know, it's not terrible. Um, it's fine if you're not connecting, right? Like yeah. for, for, for like the maybe the Indian air, not the Indian, the Chinese airlines or a cafe or even the yeah. Japanese. Yeah, it's fine. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think I agree with Seth. Like, it could be a good time for them to 
redo T3, maybe T2. I think T2 is the older one. So um, Yeah, because, I mean, the thing with those airports, right, they look, some of those look so cramped because yeah. they've got the low ceilings and what have you, right? So building out T5 does give them, you know, if you have extra space, you can always close some stuff down to renovate. But when look at what happens when you don't have the space to renovate. Yep. Um, Wiz is not restarting Russia flights after all. It, so this is an absurd one um, in some ways. Wiz has its Wiz Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. subsidiary. And because there is no uh, embargo on flights to Russia from the UAE, was going to start running routes to Russia from uh, Abu Dhabi. Hmm. Uh, even though the parent company is a European company a Hunger- in Hungary where the embargo exists. And Maybe legally it was probably okay, but the blowback was significant, and eventually they decided not to. Wow, it's good. I mean, I, I think it's it's the right thing to do. So yeah, yep. I think that's a show, guys, and we're going to talk a little bit about United. Um, Seth has apparently a Hertz Elite rant, um, and then some Emirates cabin upgrades. We'll talk about that in the bonus section of the show for our Patreon subscribers. Feel free to subscribe if you'd like to hear that and if not uh, we still appreciate you listening to the show and we'll talk to you next time bye-bye take care see you later